In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Blind man sit by the road and he cry. That is the song that we used to sing in vacation Bible school, which was uh, as I was a kid. And it was about this very passage that we've heard read uh, from the gospel, the passage about blind Bartimaeus. I'll never forget that song. And for that reason, I'll never forget this, this particular episode. It's sort of the last gasp of Christ's ministry in Galilee. He's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. He's talked uh, numerous times about the first being last. He's also talked about his own impending death. The disciples have acted like oafs in all sorts of different ways. And, uh, but they're, they're on the road, they're, they're traveling, and they come across a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. The fact that we get his name, by the way, is uh, sort of remarkable, as he would not have been seen as uh, having much value. It, it perhaps connotes that this was, yes, a real person. So uh, they're walking along, and they come across this, this blind man. Blindness then would have been the same as it is now. It's an irremediable plight. There's nothing he can do to change his situation, probably not a whole lot of hope. And so he cries out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In fact, he cries out three times. Uh, he, Bartimaeus clearly had heard something about Jesus of Nazareth. And so um, he, he breaks, uh, he's in such a bad way that he's willing to break a few uh, cultural taboos. This person, the lowest on the pecking order, would have been been sort of speaking to this man who, at this point, this is Jesus. He would have been at the very high ebb of his popular, his public regard. This is before things turned so dramatically. So, a few things to note about how Bartimaeus acts. Well, first of all, you'll notice he does not ask for healing. He asks for mercy. And now perhaps he does this because he uh, would have been seen in some way in those days. If you were, if you were blind, if you had some infirmity, it, you would have it would have been understood that you did something or your parents did something for you to deserve it, or at least to warrant it, to cause it. And so for him to ask for mercy would make sense. But it also implies just a general prayer uh, for, for mercy. This is often I think how prayers to God really begin. Lord, have mercy on me. Give me some relief. Give me something to go on. And that it moves, you'll notice, from this general to the specific after Christ says, what is it you want from me? Well, then he says, uh, let me see again. But at first, it's a general, general request. Now, uh, how to sort of insert ourselves into this story? I might say that you and I might not be physically uh, blind, yet. Uh, but some aspect of blindness um, bonds the human race together. It's simply um, inarguably true that we often cannot see things that are right in front of us. We are blind to sometimes the most important things in our lives. I was talking to someone the other day who's uh, dealing with a breakup, a very painful separation. And um, you know, when this couple got married, all of the friends, uh, uh, you know, sort of would sidebar each other and say, I don't think this is going to be, this is a good thing. Uh, we could see something that the man in question could not see, something about the way they related to each other, something about the, the fit, something about the dynamic was off. And yet uh, we can see usually so much of that in other people, but not when it's right in front of us.
Uh, or perhaps we can only see bad when it comes to a certain category of people or a certain person in our life who's wronged us. Or maybe we can only see good and we're constantly trying to excuse the the anything that's dissonant with someone's behavior when someone we really respect and admire, maybe that's a candidate, maybe that's a celebrity, maybe that's a, a pastor, who knows, uh, when they do something that is really out of character, um, uh, we want, we seek to justify it because we cannot see, uh, there's something we do not want to see. Um, or perhaps it we more more sort of trenchant these days is that we presume that we see everything in a given situation when we inevitably don't. You see, if you see everything, well, then you can confidently judge uh, another person, another plight, another country. I don't know what it is. But our perspective, broad as it may sometimes be, uh, prohibits us from seeing the whole picture. And if we could, perhaps our attitude might shift, and that's I'm going to tell a story about that in a little bit here. But whatever it is, uh, we rarely respond to blindness the way that Bartimaeus does. You and I, we deny, we, 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 we minimize our blindness. Perhaps we fake it. We, we, we act like we can see more than we can. Or we cover up our need, but not, not Bartimaeus. He has not succumbed to despair, which is remarkable given his plight and the times. His need is unsuppressed and it's unqualified. It overwhelms his pride and his sense of propriety. You and I were we're afraid of admitting so much. You know, seeing seeing uh, being seen as blind is to be seen as weak or to be seen in need like like someone who's crying out for mercy. Well, that is shameful in a certain respect. I mean, there's there's some elements where we feel like we can be seen that way, but others where it's not. But moreover that we're afraid because seeing the truth about ourselves and the world can be painful. It hurts. So crying out for help, uh, for sight, for healing, it's often the last stop on the bus. And yet what is faith here? What is faith uh, if not uh, self-insufficiency, some sort of exhausting your own resources, your pride having having finally been ditched in order to express yourself, in this case to Jesus, in our case simply to God or our neighbor. Secondly, though, uh, just like we don't like seeing need or, or blindness, <laughs> we're blind to our blindness, you might say, the crowd surrounding Jesus doesn't either. What do they do? They say they sternly ordered him to be quiet, Bartimaeus that is. Because, you know, they, they don't want, uh, th sometimes when need like this, it's like overhearing people getting into an enormous fight uh, out in public or um, you reading um, some sort of uh, private email that was not meant for you that really breaks the, the, the tension or the surface tension of life and, and really exposes the fact that the main things going on in life are not work or the earning of money, but uh, love, pain, rejection, betrayal, fear, anxiety, shame, joy, and uh, connection. So they don't like it uh, either. Possibly because, by the way, it reminds us that, that we are a lot like more like Bartimaeus. We're a lot more in need than, than we ever care to admit. 
Because that's the irony. The irony here is that the crowd is blind. And what are they blind to? They're blind to Jesus Christ himself. They're not blind to Bartimaeus. They're blind to who Jesus is. Who's this man who's right next to them? Because they cannot see what he is actually about. That he is here, in fact, to open the eyes of the blind and to preach good news to the poor. He said this much about himself, and yet they cannot see it. They want to soft pedal all that stuff about coming for sinners, not for the righteous, coming for not for the winners of the world, but for those who are who've fallen off the ladder of, of worldly regard, the losers. In other words, these people in the crowd, those who are closest to Jesus, those maybe you might even say the, the, the churchy types in the equation, they're just as much in need of sight and of mercy as Bartimaeus. They just don't know it. Well, what does Christ do? It's remarkable. He overcomes. He he shouts the crowd down and says, bring him here. Let me, let me engage with this man. He does not turn Bartimaeus inward. He doesn't say, summit it within yourself to see. Open your eyes if you try hard enough. Nor does he get him to try to think about his blindness, to think about it, to conceive of it in a new way. Instead, he acknowledges Bartimaeus as a human, as a person, he engages with him, and then he heals him. There's no formula here. It's simply Jesus being Jesus. Now, what does it look like, though, for you and me who are not in the first century AD? What does it look like for a person to really receive sight from God? Maybe a person who's not physically blind, but is blind in the ways we're all blind. Well, I caught a, a very, very powerful, in my opinion, instance of this recently on a, on a podcast that I really adore. It's a podcast called Heavyweight, and it involves people reconciling themselves with stuff from their past. It's very, very well done. I do recommend it. Anyway, this particular episode has to do with a man named John Green. He's not just any guy. He's the best-selling author of, a, of a many young adult novels, and for example, the one called The Fault in Our Stars. He, so he's a well-known guy. Now, some people aren't aware that Green, before he became a best-selling author, almost went into the ministry, in the Episcopal Church even, but decided against it after a traumatizing experience as a hospital chaplain. Now, the apex of that experience was the night that John spent with the parents of a boy who just suffered terrible third-degree burns from a brush fire. The boy, it appeared, was likely to die. Now, John spent the night with his parents. He prayed with them, and in the morning he went back, and then he eventually he decided not to ever go back. He was so upset, and so he never found out if the boy lived or died. And he talks about having to bail on divinity school at that moment because he was not able to see or point to God in that experience. And this was a faith-shaking, faith-shattering even, you might say, experience. Well, as the years go by, John cannot, um, and this is 18 years ago, This is John cannot shake this young boy whose name was Nick. And uh, he finds himself Googling this, this, this person, but then deciding not to. But he, he also, in the midst of his sort of wavering faith in God, he finds himself praying for for, for Nick every single night and for his family, despite his ambivalence about the Lord. Well, finally, maybe the podcast occasion it, maybe other, maybe there's other factors at work, but it's 18, almost 20 years down the line, and John decides to find out uh, if Nick has indeed lived or died. And I'll just spoil it for you. He has lived. 
he has lived. And so he, he, John is, reaches out, he reaches out, uh, and Nick, it turns out, is happy to talk. He's now, you know, a college age boy. And Nick tells something uh, to John in their interaction, which you can hear, um, that's very remarkable. John asks him sort of how he, how he conceptualizes or thinks of this terrible burn that, you know, he's afflicted with pain on a daily basis, even 20 years later. Nick says this, he says, I would definitely like to not have been burned, but it brought my family to Christ in a way that it would not have otherwise. The fire brought me to God, which is the most important thing in my life. I guess the way I look at it, Nick says, it was a harsh mercy. You know, I believe that in the end, God uses even evil for good. And as the leaders went on, the Lord put certain people in my life and, and in our community to educate folks about what had happened. And I got to witness acts of enormous charity. People were very kind. John responds and he says, you know, it's so easy to be merely angry about things like this. I find that a lot of life is a battle against despair and against hopelessness. This lie that it's all meaningless. And I have to find ways of holding on to hope. And he tells Nick, he says, you know, most of the last 18 years, I thought that you had died. And so I would pray for you and your family every night. I think of you often. I hope it's okay that I pray for you. And Nick says this, he says, you know, I'm glad that someone was praying for me. I really needed it. But he can also tell that John is struggling and John is very much in process in a way that he's not. And Nick says this, he says, praying for me, I hope that's kept the dialogue between you and the Lord fluid and going. And you can almost hear John's eyes opening. And he says, you know, I never thought of it that way. But on the days that I prayed for nothing else and felt no real meaning in prayer, I still prayed for you. And that was a point of connection. You walk away from this interaction just enormously uh, overjoyed, in fact, despite the tragedy of it. There's a fuller picture, a fuller perspective has been given, one that neither John nor Nick had seen before. They both see something new. And what they see is God, which is to say what they see is mercy. Now, Christ was merciful to Bartimaeus. He was merciful to the crowd. He is merciful to John, to Nick, and he is merciful to you. It may be a harsh mercy, but it is mercy nonetheless. Moreover, healing of the blind isn't some arbitrary miracle. It is the work of the Messiah, of the true son of David, here to deliver blind people from their blindness. It is simply who he is. He can do no other. So where are you, my friend? Where are you in need of sight this morning? Perhaps today is the day that we stop lying to at least to God about the extent of our need and our blindness. The gospel to you today is that you no longer have to apply spiritual cosmetics to make yourself presentable to God. You can accept 
ownership of your blindness, your weakness, your neediness, confident that God has already accepted it. In fact, in his son, he has taken it on himself. He himself has cried out in need, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He has died for the sins of the world and risen to bring new life to those who are steeped in blindness and limitation. You know the second verse of that wonderful Vacation Bible School song, Blind Man Sat by the Road, is one worth ending with today. Jesus stood on the road and replied. Jesus stood on the road and replied. Jesus stood on the road and replied, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And the way to go home. Let's go home. Amen.